Sometimes when you talk to people, uh, they'll say that the, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. They'll say that the way he works, the way that he acts, uh, is completely different than the God that we see in the New Testament. And, that, and they'll kind of try to drive a wedge in between the Old Testament and in between the New Testament. They'll say, well, in the Old Testament, God has his people go out and, and fight wars and, and kill people. They, they wipe out and slaughter their enemy. But in the New Testament, we see God and we see Jesus and, and they're all about love. They're all about kindness. Loving our enemies. Not wiping them out. In the Old Testament, we, we see that God has all these demands for His people. He has all these laws, all these, these rules and regulations that He puts on His people. And He says, if you don't obey these, if you don't do these things, you'll die. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that, that, that the burden is easy. His yoke is light. It's about grace and forgiveness. And they try to, try to force the Old Testament to contradict the New Testament and the New Testament to contradict the Old Testament. But in our text tonight, we're going to see that, that this view, the, the people who, who say these things, that they are, are, are just flat out wrong. As Jesus teaches His disciples, as He teaches us about love, He's going to teach us what the true meaning of the Old Testament law was. We're going to see that, that his teaching about love isn't something new that he's just making up on the spot that's never been heard before, but that he's, he's picking up on this thought that was taught in the Old Testament, that the people were told to do in the Old Testament, and that he's just helping us understand it in the way that they should have understood it. And we're going to see that, that even though these people might say that, that God's demands in the Old Testament stop in the Old Testament, we're going to see that they continue on into the New Testament. We're going to see that just like he t- told people in the Old Testament that they need to be holy just like he's holy. That in the verses we covered tonight, he says that we need to be perfect just like he's perfect. We're going to close this, this section that we've been in in the Sermon on the Mount tonight by seeing what the real purpose of the Old Testament law was. And that's that God wanted His people to have a character like He had. And as Jesus teaches, about, teaches us about love, and as he, he closes out this section where He said over and over again, you've heard it said, but I say to you, we're going to see that Jesus' teaching has that same point. He wants us to have a character like God's. He wants us to be like Him. We need to be like our Father. That's what He's going to tell us tonight. And love is just one of the important ways we do that. So let's read our text. We're going to be reading Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. If you don't have a Bible, there's, there's some at the end of the rows, and you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 811. We're going to be reading in, in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the fifth chapter, and we're going to be starting in the 43rd verse. These are Jesus' words to us. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The main point of our text tonight, the thing we're going to see, is that the people of God, we, as Jesus' followers, need to strive to be like Him. We need to love like He loves. We need to serve like He serves. We need to try to be like Him. Let's look at verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard Jesus say this for the, for the past five weeks. He says it again tonight. He says, You have heard that it was said. And then He gives us some teaching or some phrase that comes out of the Old Testament. And He explains as he does that, as he corrects it, how the people had misunderstood what God had said in the Old Testament. The problem tonight is that what he says to us is partly from the Old Testament and partly not. This this saying that he quotes is probably a popular saying among the Jews of that day. Uh, There's this, this group that if, if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is this group that, that wrote these, that copied these. Uh, they copied some of the Old Testament. They copied some of their own literature. And they have this, a phrase just like this in their stuff. It says, love the brothers and hate the outsider. They're saying that they need to love the people within their community, love their neighbors, love the people that they're close to, and hate everyone that's on the outside of this. And so... Just like that, this, this phrase, love your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, is a, is a popular saying that kind of distorted and perverted the way that people were supposed to understand what God said in the Old Testament. The first half comes from Leviticus 19.18. There we see that God tells the people, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He's saying... Because of who He is. Because He is the Lord. Because they are His people. They need to love their neighbors. They need to love those that are part of the nation of Israel. They're, they're, they're sons and daughters of God. And they need to love them as they love themselves. But then we come to the second half. Where Jesus says that we've heard also that we should hate our enemy. But you can search and search and search and search and search the pages of the Old Testament and you're not going to find that. You're not going to find a spot where God commands His people to hate their enemies. You'll find places where He tells them to go out and battle against them, where He tells them to fight them, even kill them. But He never says that they need to hate their enemies. We should notice two things about this. Two things about this popular saying that Jesus says that these people have heard. The first thing is that God's command to love is relaxed. His his standard that he set for them in the book of Leviticus is lowered. We just saw, we we can see that he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What that means is that just like they would care for themselves, just like they would provide for themselves, just like they would love themselves, they need to feel that same way about their neighbor. 
But when Jesus quotes this popular saying, he doesn't say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They've just heard that they shall love their neighbor. And what they've done is they've taken off the the degree that God has given them of, of how much they should love their neighbor. They don't say that you need to love them as you love yourself. You just need to love them. So even if you love them a little bit, you've still kept his command. The second thing that we need to notice is that this saying explicitly changes. It it reverses the way that God said they're supposed to treat foreigners, the way they're supposed to treat their enemies. Later uh, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 19, in the same chapter that we see this, we see God describe to the Israelites of how they're supposed to treat foreigners when they come in their land. It says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God is telling the Israelites, he's saying that you know what it's like. You know what it's like to be in a foreign land, to be mistreated by the people of that land because you were in Egypt. You you went through that. He says because of that, when, when people come into their land, when foreigners come into their land, they should treat them just as they would treat another native Israelite. They should love them as they love themselves. And and he takes the same command that he gave them about loving their neighbor and he applies it to these foreigners. And these foreigners would have included Egyptians and Babylonians and Philistines and Assyrians, people who were enemies of Israel. And so not only does this this popular saying loosen and relax God's command to love, it, it directly overturns how he said they're to love even their enemies. And the way they got here is because they understood what God had said as an exclusive command. They took his command to to love their neighbor as themselves, and they understood it in in a restrictive and exclusive way, as if God was saying, you only have to love your neighbor. You only have to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to love those other people. And they get from there to saying, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so Jesus is going to correct this. He's going to, to return back to what Leviticus really taught us about love. He's going to, to overturn this misunderstanding, this misinterpretation of the law and get us back to its true intent, to what God was really commanding us about love. He does this in verse 44. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just like he's done the last five weeks. He says, But I say to you. He's saying, You've heard this said. You've heard this popular saying. And even though though everybody says it, and even though that's what everybody does, you need to do something different. Because of, because of what Jesus is teaching, because of what he says, and because of who his followers are, who we are as his followers, we need to live differently. And so he's going to tell us how we need to understand the command to love. And he says, love your enemies. Now for us, 
the word love in English is blurred. It's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's somewhat useless. We say we love ice cream. We love Dr. Pepper. We love baseball. We love soccer. We love our kids. We love our wife. We love Jesus. And so there, there's all these different meanings of love bound up in one word so that when we say the word, if I say I, I love my kids, people don't necessarily know whether I mean I love them more or less than I love Dr. Pepper. But the, the, the Greek language isn't that way. They have multiple words to describe multiple types of love and multiple degrees of love. And here, I think that the word that's used is, is intentional. It's not talking about some just kind of lax, emotional, or sentimental love. It's this type of love which is active. It's something that's acted upon, that, that's, that changes the way someone behaves themselves because of what they know to be true. You could d- describe it as a decision, a decision that we choose to act on whether the emotions and the sentiments are there. It's like if you say, I'm going to love this thing. I'm going to to love this thing no matter what, in the hopes that one day I'll actually feel like loving it. And Jesus says that this this is the type of love, this is the kind of love that we need to have for our enemies. Even though we, we may not feel like loving them, even though we may not be excited and emotional and sentimental about loving them, we need to choose to do it because that's what he commands us to do. In the hope that one day, one day as we continue to make the choice day after day after day after day to love them, that there'll finally be those feelings that we do love them. Whenever we consider the command, the Old Testament command to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, I think immediately what comes to mind is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan is told by Luke, uh, by Jesus in Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 10. What's going on there is that there's this guy, this Jewish man, who is on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he's walking along, and this road was, was known to have robbers on it frequently. And he gets attacked by robbers. This group of robbers uh, strip him of his clothes, they rob him, they beat him, and they uh, leave him for dead. So he's, he's laying on the side of the road. He's, he's waiting for someone to come along and help him. And Jesus says that he encounters three people. The first person he encounters is a priest. This, this Jewish priest, his fellow countryman who was, who was of a higher religious status than he was. He was supposed to be a spiritual leader among the people. He was supposed to understand the law, understand the commands of the law and the intent of the law. And he comes along and he sees this man and Jesus says that he crosses to the other side of the road. And he probably did that because he would have known that the robbers, after they would leave one victim, they would wait and try to prey upon other people who would stop and help. And so out of concern for himself, he goes on. The second person that comes by, Jesus says, is a Levite. So an even higher level of spiritual leader among the people. This guy who is supposed to understand the commands of the book of Leviticus. He comes along and he just walks right by him as well. 
He doesn't stop. He doesn't, he doesn't care for him as he would care for himself like God had commanded him to do. He just goes on. And then Jesus explains it as Samaritan. Somebody who had had strife forever with the Jews. They viewed each other as enemies. They hated each other. He comes by. He sees the man. He, he has pity on him. He binds up his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to the closest place that he can and pays for his recovery. He loves the man as he would love himself. In the entire parable, the whole thing starts with this question of a guy asking Jesus, who is his neighbor? This lawyer seeking to kind of get around the commands of Scripture says, well, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus kind of takes that and, and flips it on his head and asks, who was a neighbor to him? Who acted like a neighbor to this guy? And it's the one who was his enemy. It was the one who, who he would have seen as his enemy that sought to be his neighbor. He was seeking this Samaritan was seeking to fulfill God's command to love. He was seeking to love him as he loved himself. He was seeking to be his neighbor, even though he wasn't his neighbor, even though he was a foreigner, even though he was an enemy. He treated him just like he would treat his neighbor, which is what God said that they should do. And what this means is that it doesn't matter who our enemies are. It doesn't matter how bad they are or, or what they've done to us. That doesn't matter at all. What matters is who we are. What matters is, is what God has told us that we should do. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us. It teaches us that it, that it doesn't matter who our neighbor is or who our neighbor isn't. It matters who we are. Who God has called us to be and whether we're going to choose to be those people or just be somebody that walks down the other side of the road. In the second half of verse 44, Jesus gives us an example. He gives us one example of how we can love our enemies. So he shows us one type of enemy and one way that we can love them. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus himself, you know, if we, if we read the Gospels, we see him do this at the crucifixion. After they had hung him on the cross, he prays to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what he's doing there is he's asking God's forgiveness on everyone that's put him in that place. On the soldiers who, who had just nailed spikes in his hands and his feet. On, on the Jews who, even though Pilate wanted to release somebody else, cried out that Jesus should be crucified. And even Pilate who had the earthly authority to let Jesus go, but chose not to out of fear of man. Jesus asks that God would forgive them. He prays for his enemies. He prays for those who persecute him. Maybe you hear that and you think, well, yeah, sure. You know, that's, that's Jesus. He, he's God. He's able to do that. He's different than I am. I, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a human. I, I, I can't do that. I can't love like that. Well, we're in trouble if we think that way. Because Stephen does the same thing. As the Jews are picking up rocks to throw at Stephen until he's dead. 
He cries out to the Father and says, Father, do not hold this sin against them. He prays for those who persecute Him. He asks that they would be forgiven even as they are persecuting Him. And in the same way, we are called to pray for our enemies. And I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's just kind of happened this way that Jesus picked prayer as the example that He gives us. Because a funny thing happens when we pray for someone. When we pray for our enemies, God changes our heart towards them. When we begin to to lift them up to the Father, to ask them to bless Him, to to ask Him to bless them, and to to minister to them, and to love them, and to change them, and to to work in their heart, as, as we do that, and we continue day after day after day after day to pray for these people, He changes us. And we begin to to see them like He sees them. We begin to to love them like He loves them. And we begin to desire for them what He desires for them. He changes us when we pray for them. But, of course, praying for our enemies isn't the only way that we can love them. There There are endless ways that we can do that. We can serve them. We can serve the people that we would view as enemies and do things for them and try to help them, try to love them as we love ourselves. We can rejoice when they succeed, even when they succeed at our expense. You know, when a, when a co-worker get, gets the raise or gets the vacation that you wanted, you know, we can rejoice with them and be happy for them even though you know, they may have got those things and we didn't. For, for coaches, you know, when, when the other team wins... And you don't. You can pray for them. You can rejoice with them that that their team succeeded even though your team may not have. We can encourage our enemies. We can build them up. Seek to enrich their lives even though we feel like like they detract from ours. I think one of the most important ways that we can love them is by pursuing peace with them by seeking to love them in such a way that they no longer are our enemies. That's what Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes, that we would be people who are peacemakers, that we would seek peace with them, that we would seek to love them in such a way that they're no longer our enemies, that they're now our friends, and they're easier for us to love, and we actually enjoy it. I think most importantly is that we would desire not just reconciliation with us, not just that it would be easier for us to be around them, but that they would be reconciled with God. That, that God would no longer see them as His enemy. But we shouldn't just strive for the bare minimum. We shouldn't be like th- that lawyer who asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? You see, he was, he was just looking for the loopholes. He was trying to figure out, okay, who, who is the, the smallest number of people that I have to love in order to fulfill this command? shouldn't look at it that way. We should seek to be the people that God calls us to be. We should seek to love like He calls us to love. And we shouldn't make the mistake that the Jews made. Like they understood the command to love their neighbor as a restrictive command. They, they only had to love their neighbor. We shouldn't see this command to love our enemies and think that we only have to love our enemies. He, he only cares about us loving them. See, Jesus is assuming here that we're already loving 
our friends, that we're already loving our family, that we're already loving our neighbors. He's saying that we need to love everyone, including our enemies. But sometimes, at least for me, I think it's easier to love our enemies. It's easy to love those people that are far outside of our circle that we don't have that much contact with because we can say, oh, I love them. But I never really have to prove it. I never really have to show it because I'm, I'm never around them. And that's why Jesus says and bases this upon the fact that we're loving everyone, not just our enemies. We need to love even our enemies, our friends, in, in the big, bold ways. But more importantly, in, in the small, insignificant, day-to-day ways. This, I was in this Bible study one time, and me and a group of friends were talking about, uh, about loving our wives and what that looks like. And uh, a bunch of us, myself included, kind of threw out big, big flowery, you know, bold, abstract somewhat useless statements of, oh, this is, this is how we love our wives. And then one guy, very honest, said something like, I think for me, loving my wife is putting my towel on the hook in the bathroom instead of on the floor. It's, it's me putting the toilet seat down. It's me doing the dishes. It's me taking out the trash. And we were all like, well, we're just big jerks because we don't do those things. And we shouldn't miss that in this text. We shouldn't miss the fact that it's not enough to just love our enemies. It's not enough just to love in the abstract, in the big, bold ways. We also have to love in the the smallest, most minute, most insignificant, and even missed ways. That's how we really show that we love someone, is when we do things that even they don't realize that we're doing. But we might ask, as we get here, we might say, well, well why? Who, who really cares about this? Why did God tell the Israelites to love their neighbor? Why did God tell the Israelites to love foreigners? Why does Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Why, why does he do this? Why does he care about this? Well, he gives us the answer. He, he tells us why it's so important in verse 45. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust. He tells us to love. He tells us to love because when we do that, when we love like he calls us to love, we're acting like God. We're acting like God in, in a good way. You know, sometimes people can act like God in a bad way. But when we love, we are imitating him in a good way. We're emulating him. We're showing people that we have a relationship with him, that we want to be like him and conformed into his image. This, so that you may be sons and daughters of God. It's not that by loving people, by loving our enemies, that we become, that somehow we earn our status as sons and daughters. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that when we do this, When we love people, when we love our enemies, we are showing people that we are identified with God. He is our Father. We are His people. We don't earn that status. We we reveal that we have that status by how we love. This is exactly what Jesus says in John 13, 35. 
He tells his disciples. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He's telling them, he's saying that, that when you guys love one another, when you love like I've called you to love, when you do this, you're going to show other people as they look on, as they see, you're going to show them that you're my disciples, that you are my people, that you're like me and how you love. And this is what, exactly what he's saying in Matthew. He's saying that when we love our enemies, when we pray for our persecutors, we're revealing to people, we're showing people that we have a relationship with God, that we're his people. And we're his people because we're like him. Because we love like he loves. But how exactly? How does, how does loving our enemies, how does that make us like God specifically? Why does Jesus give that reason? Why does he say that that makes us like him and not something else? Well, it's because he does the same thing. Jesus says that the Father sends rain on, on both the evil and on the good. He, he sends uh, the Son to the, to the just and the unjust. He gives these things to everyone, whether they're His people or His enemies. This, this concept is, is what uh, theologians call common grace. What common grace is, is it's an aspect, one aspect of the grace of God that He gives to everybody whether they're his people or his enemies, whether they love him or hate him. God gives blessings to everyone, regardless of whether or not we have a relationship with him. This is common grace. It's different from saving grace. Saving grace is is what he gives us who have a relationship with him as, as we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's a different aspect of God's grace. But his common grace is, is this, these blessings that he gives to everyone, like sunshine and rain. Every human being on the earth, no matter who they are, no matter how they live, no matter where they are, they experience creation. They experience the sun. They experience the moon. They experience the stars. They experience rain in most places. And all these things are are blessings of God. Creation is just one way he does that. He also does that in, in a whole lot of different ways, like humanity's intelligence, our our creativity, our morality, even things like the internet and sushi and baseball are are all aspects of God's common grace that he gives to everybody to enjoy. And in the same way, just just like he does that, just like our Father does that, gives these things to everyone, no matter who they are to him, he says that we need to love both our friends and our enemies. We need to love both those people who love us and those people who hate us because when we do that, we show that we're like him because he does the same thing. But even though we, we, we have the, this, this common grace with everyone else, he also says that we should be different. Let's look at verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He says that because we have this relationship with God, because we're his people and we love him and he loves us, because of this, we should be different. He says, what's the big deal? 
if, if you love those people who love you. Everybody does that. Even, even the tax collectors. And the tax collectors were, were one of the most hated groups in the ancient world. The way it worked was that uh, the Romans collected the taxes and they would use local people to do it. So these local people would take money for the empire from, from their friends, from their family, from their neighbors. And because of that, all the people in the community usually hated that guy. Because he would come around and he would take their money and he would usually uh, take more than they told him to take so that he could have income for himself. And so tax collectors were liked by nobody. I mean, it's, it's really not that much different than the IRS today. But he says that even tax collectors have friends. Even, even they like other tax collectors. Even, though, even they like people and, and they treat them well. E- even this hated group love those people who love them. Everybody does that. So what's the big deal if we do that? This is the same thing about, about greeting. If we just greet our friends, if we just greet our brothers or our fellow church members, we're just doing the same thing as everybody else. Even, even the Gentiles, this immoral, pagan group, even though even they do that. What's the big deal if we do it too? So he's saying that we need to, to be so different from them that people see us and they see they're doing something different than everybody else. They don't just love those who love them. They love their enemies. They pray for those who are punishing them. They don't just greet their brothers. They don't just greet their fellow countrymen. They greet everyone. They, they love foreigners. They love their neighbors as themselves. And just in case we don't get it, just in case those two questions, which should be obvious to us, even if we don't get that, Jesus tells us exactly how different we need to be in verse 48. He says, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's really not any way around that one. You know, we can debate all day about what the word perfect means, but he says, perfect like God is perfect. So whatever perfect means, we don't have it. Because we're not like God. We aren't perfect like He is perfect. And this again, this, this, this command that Jesus gives us at the end, it takes us all the way back to Leviticus 19 again. See, at the beginning of, of all these commands that He's giving the Israelites about how they're to love people, He says this. He tells Moses, He says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I think what what Jesus is doing here is is He's not just wrapping up what He's saying about love. But He's wrapping up this section of the Sermon on the Mount that He started all the way back in verse 17 where where He started talking about the Law and the Prophets and how we should understand it in light of His coming and how He's going to return us to the true intent of the law. And He brings us all the way back there. And He says that the purpose of the law, the goal of the law, the law's point, was that people needed to have a character like God had. The point of the law was that anyone who would look at it would see that that God is clean, and we are unclean. That, That God is holy, and we are unholy. That God is perfect, and we are imperfect. That's what the law was for. And, and Jesus' teaching is telling us the exact same thing. 
That's why he wraps it up this way. He wraps it up this way by saying that that we need to be perfect just like the Father is perfect. That's exactly what the law taught. That's exactly what he's saying. But the problem is, is that we're not. And we know that. Just like we know that that we could never have the kind of righteousness that he talked about up in verse 20, where he said that our righteousness had to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that we needed this sort of blameless, spotless, perfect righteousness. We knew there that that we weren't ever going to have that. And we know now even more so when he says that we have to be perfect just like the Father is perfect, just like God is perfect. We know that there's no way that we're going to be able to do that. At least not on our own. That's nothing that we can ever attain to on our own. And Paul explains how this happens in Colossians. He says this. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul says we were hostile. We were alienated. Even though we were his enemies, even though we were Christ's enemies and God's enemies, he loved us. Just like he calls us to love our enemies, he loved us when we were his enemies. Paul says that he reconciled us. He he sought peace with us. He loved us in such a way that he didn't want us to remain his enemies. And so he sought peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Paul gives us the purpose for all of this so that he can present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, so that we can be perfect before him. And as we grow in the gospel, as as we grow in in the Christian life and we progress and we realize that the gospel isn't isn't just the start of the Christian life, but that it's it's what we need throughout it, we're going to realize and we're going to grow in two things. We're going to grow in our awareness of God's holiness and we're going to grow in our awareness of our unholiness. We're going to grow in our awareness of His perfection and our imperfection. We know and we'll continue to know that we're never going to be perfect. Because no matter how far we get in the Christian life, those two points of of His holiness and our unholiness just get further and further and further and further away from each other. They never meet. The only thing that bridges that gap is the grace of Christ that we have in the gospel. And so we know that we can't be perfect. We know that there's there's never going to come a day where we're perfect like He is perfect. Except through Christ. Except through what Christ has done for us on the cross where he takes our sin, he pays the penalty that that God has against it, and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfection so that he can present us clean and holy and perfect before God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are perfect, that you are holy, and that you possess a perfection and a holiness that we can never know fully. that even though we're unholy and even though we're imperfect, that you didn't leave us on our own, but that you gave us your law. You sent your Son to tell us that we can be changed, that we can strive to have a character like yours, we can strive to, to image you and represent, represent you in, in our world and in our community and among our neighbors and among our enemies. So God, we ask that you would send your spirit, that you would empower us to love with the love that you call us to love our enemies. That we wouldn't act like everyone else that we wouldn't just love those who are easy to love and just greet those who are our friends, but that we would be so different that people would recognize that we are your people. Not for our recognition or our glory, but so, so that other people would know you. So that other people would be reconciled to you through Christ like we have been. We thank you that the gospel makes us more aware of your perfection and, and more aware of our imperfection. We thank you that that's not discouraging, but that that helps us to be satisfied in the grace of the gospel. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the grace that we have through faith in Him, His name. We thank You for the cross's power which saves us. It's in His name we pray. Amen.